Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Kelly Freeman Craig, a writer, producer, and director whose breakout first feature, The Edge of Seventeen, closed TIFF in 2016. Her latest film, an adaptation of Judy Bloom's beloved novel, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, opened earlier this year and is now zipping along on disc and digital. It's very sweet and very smart, and you should check it out. Kelly picked Richard Linklater's Before trilogy, or more specifically, the first two films, Before Sunrise and Before Sunset, the initial encounters of Ethan Hawke's Jesse and Julie Delpy's Celine in Vienna in 1996 and Paris in 2005. I mean, we'll be discussing Before Midnight as well, it's inevitable. And I know Maureen Judge picked the trilogy for her simcast way back in episode 66, but the fact that seven years have passed since that episode, which is almost a full before, got me thinking that revisiting them from a new perspective might not be the worst idea. So, once again, this is someone else's movie. You know, I think there are certain films that just, like, get inside you and just live with you forever. And that's what these two did for me. Like, they're just, I just, like, carry them with me everywhere. Um, I just think that um, there's something so deeply honest and real um, about about both of these films. And I'm so incredibly inspired by the fact that he could just set a camera on two people for an entire movie for two and two entire movies, three actually, but just talking about these two um, and have it be so riveting and, uh, and, you know, and make me feel so many different things and go on such a ride with these characters. Um, So I'm just um, bowled over by the writing. Um, and the acting and, you know, and just the whole making of it. It's one of those incredible hindsight experiences, isn't it? Because in 1996, none of us knew we'd be here. They didn't, they had absolutely no plan. Uh, They were just making this little movie because Linklater was feeling uncertain about where he stood in, in, Mm. you know, having just made Dazed and Confused and trying to figure out what he wanted to do next. He wanted to do something smaller with, with just, he just said with fewer distractions, that was his thing. Mm. And Hawk is, yeah, Hawk is in this place where right after Reality Bites, he's not sure Mm -hmm. who he wants to be. He definitely doesn't want to be the movie star that they're trying to shape him into. Julie Delpy is just popping in, I think, I want to say period dramas. She'd made two or three Mm -hmm. period films in France, but, but suddenly here this is. And, and, it launches, I mean, it's not technically what we understand as a franchise, but mm-hmm. I love that about it because it just refuses yes. to be any of those things. Yes. And, and this is the bit where I say that I just happened at the festival this year to be tapped to moderate uh, some Filmmaker Lab stuff. So I ended up spending two and a half hours on stage with Linklater and Hawk. Oh my gosh. And it came oh, up, that- right? I mean, of course oh, it does. Oh, 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 okay. Oh, this is so cool. I'm like, I, yes. Yes. Are they going to do, are they going to do another one? <laughs> they won't talk about it. Uh, it yeah. came up a lot because there were yes. about 25 people in the audience asking various versions of that question. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And Linklater just said it would be like, if we kept it to seven years, it would have to be a period piece now about the pandemic because midnight came out in 13 right. and it would either have to be just before or during. And he said that that felt like a challenge nobody wants right now. Nobody mm. wants to revisit that experience just yet. So I yes. don't know, like maybe they'll sit it out and just pick it up 
in at the 14 year mark instead. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I don't know why, but this whole entire time I thought it was 10 years. I never realized it was seven years. That's why you said seven years. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 The whole time I thought it was, t- they were each 10 years apart, but yes. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think actually, I think it's like 96, 2004 and 2013. So that it's, okay. it's elastic, but I think right, they yes. wanted it to be seven, seven, and seven <laughs> once they started going like like the Michael Apted documentaries. Right. Like the yeah. snapshot of a relationship at these different points in time. And it was supposed yes. to be, I think with before midnight too, it was supposed to allow for the age differences in their kids. Mm. Jesse's son mm-hmm. was already a teenager or or coming up to it. And um, yes. and they had twins and they were little girls and there was a gap there that they could capture. Yes. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep. Cause that's the thing yeah. that sunrise and sunset can do that midnight can't which is really just have the two of them be alone that's exactly right yes yep yeah yeah and then all of a sudden yeah life gets more complicated as they yep they have a family and stuff yep yeah Yeah. and in midnight they have that friend group that they're hanging out with on the island that there's Mm -hmm. this, this sense of a life that they've built for themselves but sunrise and sunset exists in both cases it's the will they won't they it's the liminal nature yes. of what could happen next and and yes what their yes. future is and i i yeah. will i'll step out of the way and let you talk i promise but i mm-hmm. i will say that ah uh, i still think the ending of before sunset is the greatest cinematic ending ever i completely agree completely agree i think baby you're gonna miss that plane I know. It's just, I don't know how you get better than that. I don't know how you get better than that. It's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect. It yeah. is. It's got resignation. It's got happiness. It's got excitement, yes. adventure. You're like you feel like you want to stay. And the way that it just lingers lets us stay in that moment forever. This, yes. thing, this moment of incredible potential where they really do finally have their whole lives out ahead of them and it's going to be yes. messy and things are going to get destroyed and, and it's going to be unhappy for a little while. Yes. But all the questions are answered right in that moment. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really a masterclass in how to end a film because it's so satisfying without tying things perfectly up. Like it's just, it it just gives you everything you want and nothing more, you know? I think that's Linklater's gift too, is that he understands that the movie doesn't have to end. It can simply stop. Mm-hmm. Like so many yes. of his films just have this, this sense of life that's extending beyond the frame from before, yes. from after, from during. Like there's all kinds of these pinballs happening and bouncing around. And yeah. the before films are sort of now this contract with the audience that we're just going to drop yes. in for a little while. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think, I think that's part of what I admire so much about, uh, about these films is they do feel so completely slice of life. And so um, they feel so real, so sort of almost, you know, almost like documentarian style, you know, I mean, it just feels like you've just, you're just a fly on the wall watching something totally real happen. And when I watch them, I always have this feeling like 
like like like it could have happened to me you know what i'm saying like you know there's certain things where it feels like it's so real that it feels like it could have been a memory from your own life you know um yeah i i just think um i think he has such a gift for that um just creating a, a you know creating something cinematically that feels so real um it's it's just easy to suspend your disbelief that you're watching a movie even, you know? Yeah. Well, and of course, the fact that we've spent, I mean, we really haven't. We've only spent, what, four and a half hours with these people. But mm-hmm. the way yes. they recur in our lives and the way they keep echoing back and forth with their own history and with our history, and inevitably, like, you're going to think about who you were the last time you saw them. Mm-hmm. The, the yep. films engage with us on a personal level mm-hmm. like almost nothing else can because yes. of the way they're presented because of the way they're delivered. I mean, I, I'm assuming um, I, I was the right age. I was like, I think yeah. two years older than Jesse. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. I still am, I suppose, when I, when I right, saw yes. Before Sunrise. And it was just yeah. so striking to see a film that was unconcerned with capturing the youth of the moment, right? Like, it's not like a, yes. like Kevin Smith where it needs to establish, he needs immediately to establish a language and a, and a, and a an atmosphere yes. in the world. And Ed, you, you do it with Edge of 17 too, where you tell us right away what kind of teenagers we're seeing, mm-hmm. but it's not, um, it doesn't prevent us from, from connecting to them. It's not stylized mm-hmm. in the same way. It's just more of an, mm-hmm. uh, of an attitude within the film. And Before Sunrise just starts so gently that we get to putting our own preconceptions and they don't necessarily get contradicted. Everything is just there to be yes. embraced. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think, I think that's honestly such, such a magic trick that he pulled off. Um, um, these films shouldn't work. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what's amazing. Like they yeah. shouldn't work as well as they do. You should be bored in the middle of them. You should be, you should, you know, I mean, it shouldn't, I, but I, um, I'm just like absolutely in love with both characters, like absorbing every second of it and deeply invested in what will happen to them. You know, yeah. and the fact that he can make that happen just by me watching a conversation with two people is wild. It's really, I, I just admire it so much. You know, I had, I definitely had wildly different experiences watching each one and actually watching the third one. I almost, the experience for me with that one was it, it hit almost too close to home. So I have to watch it now, you know, I have to, I have to go back and watch it again. Um, but at the time I remember it being like, Oh no, Oh God. You know, like it was almost too, it was too close to my own, you know, just too close to my own experiences. Um, Oh yeah. Anybody who's had any kind of lengthy relationship is going to recognize so much. Totally. And it was almost painful to, you know, it was almost like painful to watch. Whereas, um, whereas the other two have such a, there's such a, there's such a sort of like wistful, there's a romance to them, even though I think it's, it's so different from like, I hate to use that word because that makes it sound too like glossy and beautiful. Like there's just a, a very pure, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a different kind of romance in that it feels like it could have happened to you. It feels like life. It feels like that sort of romance. It has that messiness to it. Um, Yeah. That the, that the, third one 
you know, the, the third one, once they are together, doesn't, it doesn't have that same, will they, won't they question at the center mm -hmm. of it, you know? Um, but it's interesting. I've, I've like, I've got to go back and I've got to go back and revisit that and oh, you know, experience it again. Yeah. The, the anxiety of that third act of that argument yes. is just so, because there's that thing that people recognize and the audience, I mean, if you see it with a crowd, the audience feels mm -hmm. it the same way that you do and everybody just gets tense and, and there's yes. this stomach churning tension yes. to that argument. Th 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 yes. That and was it, it. That was it. Yeah. Yes. It's recognizing and we've all been in it ourselves, mm -hmm. but it's seeing Celine decide to fight back. Mm -hmm. Like that moment where she takes stock and then just goes, well, all right, fuck it. We're doing this and just comes at him. Yes. And it's not uh -huh. violent. It's just emotionally honest. And it's yes. the thing that, she, that we know she can do because we've seen her do it in the previous movies. We've seen her just turn yes. on the analytical sense and, and cut right through Jesse's bullshit. And that's the other yes. beauty of the films. All three of them is that they know mm -hmm. Jesse's a bullshitter. He's not yes. wrong all the time and he's not mm -hmm. misguided, but he yes. has the confidence of a guy who can talk himself out of things uh, yes. or into them. And Celine was the, I think, is the only person who's ever seen through him right away every time. And yes. so that first half of that argument where he's making his protestations, he's not wrong. He's justified in some mm -hmm. of the things he says, and she seems to acknowledge that. And then he oversteps and she decides she's just not going to let him off the hook. And that's yeah. where your heart is in your throat because like, it's not about how she responds. We know how she's going to respond. It's how Jesse takes mm -hmm. it that's going to define the rest of their lives. And yeah. now, like, in Midnight, there are stakes. They have mm -hmm. kids together. Like, that's that's yes. the thing about the, the beauty of Sunrise and Sunset is that they really mm -hmm. don't – it's the first two yes. times these people have met. Yes. Like, there's no mm -hmm. baggage other than the romantic memories of each other. And even then, in, yes. in, in Sunset – Celine cuts through that. Oh no, we didn't sleep together. I thought we did. Right. She just yeah. she, doesn't, she just doesn't put up with it, and that's why she's right. worthy of him, right? And he's worthy of her because he continues to invest. Yeah. In the same way that they want to be honest with each other, and they keep running over their own roadblocks and their own, um, you know, their own their own. It's not a hang up exactly, but I think the difference is that when they do finally argue in Midnight, it's the first time we've seen them fight. And they know each other so well because mm -hmm. they're soulmates. Ultimately, if you yes. if you argue with this whole thesis, right? If there is a, such a thing as a soulmate, that's why we're watching this couple. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. And so to have them fight and really fight makes it intimate and uncomfortable and personal. Because mm -hmm. you know I'm more invested in these fake people than they are in me. So yes. don't let me down. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Totally. Be worthy totally. of my love too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Do you, of the three, do you have a favorite? I think it's gotta be sunset um, because yeah. of the potential, because of, because it's, it's 90 minutes of two people not saying I've always loved you. And, yes. and it's so thrilling to watch it and, and to watch them fight yeah. against each other, to watch that pang in the, in the scene where Jesse talks about seeing her being sure he'd seen her and then immediately writing it off and and hawk being such a goddamn good actor that we understand yes. it's the denial that let him go on with his life because yes. if he hadn't if he knew if he really knew he'd missed his chance it would have destroyed him yes. and here he is mm -hmm. talking it through and watching 
Delpy, who's just as good. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I do think mm-hmm. that over the last 15 years, Ethan Hawke has probably become maybe the finest actor of his generation mm-hmm. with nobody looking. He's just quietly refined this thing yes. he does. Um, totally agree. And, you know, I bounced it off of him a couple of times in interviews and he refu- absolutely refuses to understand or accept it. It's like, <laughs> no, no. And then he'll pause and say, I mean, I got better, but... <laughs> He's he's such a fantastic person to talk to. He's he's got absolutely no ego, and I think you need that in order to be this person for Linklater to to be the muse yes. that he is, and mm-hmm. and to embody this sort of the disappointment of a generation in Jesse. Who yes. you know, it's not like he didn't live up to his potential. They gave him a decent life as a fictional character. He's written mm-hmm. his books in the same way Hawk has has become a writer and director on his own. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't feel like he's a success. He doesn't, mm-hmm. he feels like he's still struggling. And so he has to pump up his intellectual bona fides and, and just impress people. And Celine yeah. has been with him by the point of before midnight long enough to be tired of it, but yes. to still admire the effort. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think um, sunset is my favorite too. I think that there's, um, I, I, there's such something so beautifully heart-wrenching about all the years of what could have been if they had, you know, yeah. uh, if, if they had gotten together. Um, so I think like it, I think that film in particular makes me think about my own life because I think we all have those. Um, we all have those things and all sorts of different, not just in romantic relationships, but it, it like, but in all in career and, oh, and all sorts of decisions, there are, the, there's the door that we went through and then there's all the doors that we didn't go through and yeah. what, and what could have been, what was behind those. So it's sort of like, I feel like we all walk around with like this graveyard of like the could have been, you know? Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I just, I love that they have this shot, you know, and um, one of my favorite lines too is, um, is when he says that he, he feels like when he's talking about his own relationship back in the States, he says, I, it feels like we're two people managing a small nursery or something like that, you know, like, yeah, he, yeah. He always, I, I think there are so many lines that just like cut straight down to the heart of, uh, you know, of relationships, of life. Uh, it just all, like, I, I, it just feels like they're um, talking about so many of the things that, that I constantly find myself pondering. They're saying out loud so many of those things. Yeah. And that's the nature of the experiment, I think, of, of you know, what Linklater does is he's giving mm-hmm. himself room to be mundane, but also to be deep in his yes. mundanity, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they're the uh-huh. things that you would want to say to people if you thought they could understand it, if they yes. thought they could understand you. Uh-huh. Yep. And mm-hmm. so we have this this collision of two people who are just perfect for each other uh, mm-hmm. right away. Like the audience knows it well before they do. And, mm-hmm. and so you get to watch it develop. You get to watch them miss their window. And then, yeah, as you say, it's just life. It's not, nobody betrayed anybody else. Nobody stood mm-hmm. anyone up. Somebody died and he couldn't mm-hmm. come. That was it. Like, it's really right. that simple. And yes. this, this, yeah. this little dream he had of going back and meeting the French girl just didn't happen. 
and yeah. it's mm-hmm. haunted him. Mm-hmm. And some part of him wakes up again in in sunset yeah. when he sees her, and that's the like that's the thing that I love so much about the second film is that it is the moment. It's the top of the roller coaster for the whole movie. You just yes. we don't we don't get the ride. Yes. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. We've, we've yes. never seen the ride. I, and I love that yes. about those films as well. We're denied all the big points. We're denied their first night together. We're denied their first meal together. We we don't yes. see any of it. Mm-hmm. Um we yeah. just get them talking. We just get them living yeah. and existing in the moment and we just get to hang out with them. And yes. You know, Linklater's first feature to to break out was was Slacker, which is nothing but conversation or not even conversations, nothing but monologues. Yeah. So yeah. He can clearly write to character, but mm-hmm. the thing that stuns me in Sunrise whenever I revisit it is this is his first film where it's but back and forth, where it's just all yes. conversation yeah. and the rhythms are so natural. And he even has a couple of moments where somebody talks too long or something hangs in the air and the confidence to do that, yes. to just let it be mm-hmm. awkward and let these yep. people feel each other out. It's, yes. it's remarkable. <laughs> Exactly. And I feel like it's it's all of those things that make it feel like life, you know, and yeah. if they're falling in love with each other, we're falling in love with them, you know, with the two of them and them together, the idea of them together. Um, yeah, I think that's why it got in me so deeply is that it feels I, I think I think it's that it feels like it really feels like the way you fall in love with someone where you're not there's no it doesn't feel like most movies where you cut away and you miss all the in-between, like you don't miss any of it. You, Mm -hmm. you experience all of it. Um, Yeah. um, But there's no filter. There's no one there to cut. There's There's no, there's no editorial. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It just goes on the way life does. Yep. And and the way the night does. It's so, yeah, it's, um, it's so beautiful. And I also, you know, I heard, I, I don't know I don't know how how exactly this worked, but I heard the three of them wrote it together, and they would like. I, I wonder I wonder what their process was. Exhausting, apparently. Idea? Yeah, really? we, we did yeah. talk about it a little bit. He he said there is no improvisation in any of the three films. They're they're all scripted. They had to be for really? timing. Yeah, they had to get it right mm-hmm. for timing and blocking with the long shots. The big walk they take in midnight had mm-hmm. to be moment to moment. They had to know exactly what was going to happen, exactly what point, just so they could navigate it. But all three films are heavily scripted. They are the first one was mostly scripted before they put it together, before mm-hmm. the actors mm-hmm. got really involved. But then they they made some contributions that were then incorporated. Okay. Uh, Sunset was a collaborative effort where they just sent the script back and forth to each other and they had these long phone calls and broke it down that way. And then Midnight was the three of them. I think I think over the course of a couple of months, actually writing it together and figuring out how it would work. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm always surprised to realize that it's scripted because it's so naturalistic. There's so much air. So naturalistic. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, I, and I'm also just so interested in the actual process of being three people writing a script. I think, cause I've always written alone. I'm trying mm. to imagine how that works. Like, do you, do you write a draft and then you, and then you email it to the other person and they rewrite over you? Like, how do they, do they divvy it up? Do they say like, you write this conversation, we'll write that, you know, like I want, I don't know. How, I'm like fascinated by it. And the fact that it could feel so seamless 
even with it, you know, with the three of them writing. Hey, it's Norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my newsletter about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming project. Last week I wrote about the physical arrivals of the streaming series WandaVision, The Mandalorian, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and the new 4K restorations of The Color Purple, Titanic, and Point Break. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io, or find a link at the Simcast Twitter account. You like reading about movies? I like writing about them. Come check it out. Linklater said years ago, I think we were talking for Everybody Wants Some, and we were just talking mm-hmm. about how that film is like like Dazed and Confused. It's a dozen different voices all running back and forth. And he said that was actually easier to write than a before film because mm. you can go back and fix a line. And it's like, well, this character's changed in my mind. I, I, I think he can do this or she can, she can go there. And it's like, well, yeah. Jesse and Selene are in Violet. It's not just him right. writing it. He has to run it by. And and Hawk weighs in on Celine and Delpy weighs in on Jesse and yes. they'll call each other out. And Linklater says, like, I pretend I have final say is what I think he said at the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yes. it's like they're the ones talking on the set. It has to come out of the actors. They have to believe it. So that's, it's a genuine collaboration. That's so interesting. So do they actually. So you're saying that Hawk weighs in on Jesse and, and Delpy weighs in on Celine. So. So and I vice wonder, versa. They, oh, okay. The, yeah, because yeah. that's what I was wondering. I was like, wait a minute. Do they just sort of try to write their characters? Like, do they do that? Like, do they? Oh, no, I think they do. No, I think no, all no, three no. of they, them they write They do each. all of it. Yeah. They do all of it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, that would be fascinating to think how that would work. Yeah. Huh. Like, send, anyway, yeah. send Hawk Celine's monologue and have him respond. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's what I was wondering. Yes, I was like, that would be one way to write. That's it. it actually sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> It'd be a fascinating collaboration. You just you'd want it. I don't. Would you do it in real time? Would you improvise something like that? I mean, they don't. They 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 write. They don't right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But yeah. It does make you wonder how other writing teams do this stuff, and yes. even people who don't uh-huh. act or somebody like. Um, uh, Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham, who who created mm-hmm. yes. um, uh, Best Friends Forever, they uh-huh. they play out everything. They they act mm. every role and play every scene together in a living room. That's their process. Wow. So they do it out loud. Yeah, in they character. Everything. Wow, everything out loud, and then they're and then. So I wonder if they record themselves and I then assume, they go back yeah, and, and then transcribe. Wow. It. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, they talked about it once on a podcast, and I thought. That is the most fascinating and exhausting way to create. Because if you, you oh know, if God. you get a good run, you've got ten pages when you turn around. Right. Yes. But if you yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. it's death. Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah. Oh, but that's so fascinating. I mean, I definitely just by myself, I'm like I look like a lunatic because I'm just alone at my laptop, like saying lines out loud to myself. You know, so I'm. It's like I'm sort of playing all the parts and walking around a room sometimes. Yeah. Um, but that's often just trying to get the rhythm of something, you know, or the blocking of something. Um, but yeah, how interesting. That's really, yeah, it does sound exhausting, but also like a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think if you're not doing it alone, right, it, it breaks, yes, it makes yes, it easier. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Does it help you with adaptation when you're, when you're working from somebody else's text to do that? Do you find it? it lets you find the actual speaking voice of a character when you're, when you're trying to write uh, into it. 
You mean, um, you mean to sort of say things out loud? Yeah. The trick of capturing um, a voice. You know, um, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily matter whether it's adaptation or anything. Like I is just sometimes saying it out loud just helps me, helps me hear. I actually find the casting process to be really um, informative because very often just having a bunch of people come in and read the same lines. Sure. There's so many things that so much that comes out of that because you realize, first of all, you can see everybody tripping over the same sort of line and you're like, Oh, I've got to change that line because there's something that's just word salad in there that has to be changed. Or, um, or you hear, you hear something that has you've always imagined one way you you hear it said another way and you're like oh whoa that's that's so much better you know so i don't know so i i yeah i love i love the casting process for that reason like so many ideas i'm constantly taking notes so many ideas come out of it yeah i i've yeah. um i've had those experiences of reading a book and then seeing a line of dialogue come right out on screen uh -huh. and just yeah. not hearing it the same way it's like oh that's a different yes. meter than i would have thought in my head Yes. But for momentum and pacing and things, it just, it strikes me as such a weird thing to navigate when you're translating something that can be, that every single person will read at a different pace, right? Or, or yes. experience differently. You know, I, I actually have a thing where I, um, I have a really hard time listening to books on audible for that yeah. reason, because if I, uh, so I have to go and I have to listen to the, the reader and I have to judge whether I like their reading voice, you know, because of that exact thing, there's something sometimes if somebody says it, you know, reads it in a certain way, I can't, I can't, I can't do it um, because yeah. it is because it doesn't feel the same way as, as when I'm reading it on the page. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we all possess that version of the book, right? Whatever it is, mm -hmm. is going to be the way you see it in your head forever, which is the other reason I try not to read it. I mean, it's less so now that I'm less of a, an active critic and more of a programmer on that side. But mm -hmm. it used to be that I just would avoid the book, the source, the play, yes. like, I just want to see the movie the way the movie wants to show it to me with no expectations. Yeah. But when you're, say, adapting a 50-year-old novel that yeah. generations of people have have in their heads already, mm -hmm. I mean, that that's probably not intimidating in the slightest. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no. It was, um, in the beginning, it was completely... Uh, paralyzing, to be honest, because, um, because, yeah, I, I was so, so aware of, of all the people that like are diehard about the book. And, and I'm one of those people, you know, right. so my own voice was very critical of everything. Um, but, but I found that in order to find in order to sort of find my groove with the process, I, I really had to give myself permission to play. And color outside the lines and really just um, try to serve the spirit of it and, and ask myself, does it feel the way her book feels, you know? Um, and if it does, then it's okay. If it's, if it's wildly different than what's in the book, as long as it feels like the book, you know, feels like it could have been in the book, a version of it in an alternate universe, you know? Right. Um, so um yeah, that for me, that switch for me, that mental switch was what freed me, what, what finally like unlocked me to be able to write it. Linklater did say every time he thinks about going back to the before films, he's mm -hmm. worried that he'll get it wrong, that yeah. he will 
they'll be in a place that they shouldn't be somehow. But yeah. then Hawk jumped in and said, well, you're the one who gets to decide that. Like, you can't worry about the audience's expectation. He was convinced people would hate Jesse. Um, really? from, from, from sunrise, from the very first, wow. he was thinking this guy's an asshole. And I think it's how he had to get into him. It's how he had to play mm. him because again, like he's coming out of that little window where they tried, where Hollywood tried to package him as a star and he rejected yeah. it so violently mm. that I think mm -hmm. he thought that's the kind of person he would be playing mm. like somebody who's right. just you know, he's smooth, he's well-spoken, he knows what's going to happen, he's slick, he's a hustler. Yes. But we see right away just how transparent Jesse is, and so does Celine, right. which is why yes. we get to love them. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I I can so imagine how much pressure there would be to do a fourth one and feel like you're not feel like oh god what what if you get it wrong and i don't actually think like what, what hawk said about like well you get to decide like i don't think that makes it any better <laughs> or easier because because actually like you can i i think sometimes like as a creator you the worst thing is when you you think maybe you've gotten it right but then with some fresh eyes you realize oh i got it wrong i don't like it you know what i mean it's not yeah. it's not about anybody else i don't like it i fucked it up you know um so yeah i, I can imagine it's it's like enormous pressure um also because we're we're so invested in these people and we have been for decades now you know yeah. um yeah and you don't want you don't want I don't know. You don't want these characters you love so much to end up somewhere that you feel like, no, that's not, that's not what would happen. You know? Cause I think we all have a sense of them at this point, you know, yeah. we all have very strong feelings about them. Yeah, we do. And it's also not like we want, like, do we want drama? Do we want mm -hmm. as an audience? I don't want to see them get sick. I don't want to see somebody no. in a cast. I don't want to see somebody no. get old. Yes. They have to be the model relationship for me. I have yes. to see them. Um, they need to be frozen in their early forties, and and everything's okay, or with the possibility of happiness on the other side of this fight. And yes. it's there, right? I mean, that the film, like Midnight, like Sunset, ends with them choosing to be together, right? Um, yes, with the stakes being radically recalibrated, so it's less mm -hmm. risky to stay together now than it is to to end the relationship. Right. Uh, yeah. Which I don't think is really in danger of happening, but because we're in the room with them when they're fighting, it feels real enough that yes. you know, that whole third act is just excruciating. We, yes. I mean, we've already we've already discussed it, and I don't want to make you revisit it. But <laughs> uh, but I didn't get to ask you at the beginning. Have you? Did you see Sunrise in '96? Have you had the same journey with them, or did you come to it later? I I came to it later. I oh. came to it in. Um... I came to it in the earlier mid two thousands, so I came I came to it really after Sunset already existed. So I so I watched them both almost back to back. Oh, so that's wow. why those two for me are really linked because I watched them back to back. So and then you know and then Midnight came out in two thousand thirteen. I think you said thirteen. Or, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, so it almost felt like one long movie to me. Do you know what I mean? When yeah. like the, the two of them together are like they're two halves of a whole for me. I mean, they, they are, they were for yeah. for mm -hmm. that for what 
six years or so. That's yeah, uh-huh. which yeah, is so fascinating uh-huh. about them. Like each one, he said, each one is the only one, which yeah. I think is a beautiful way of putting it. In that they add to the previous films, but they're the only one he can think about at the time. Like they're they're mm-hmm. not thinking about how things resonate. They they don't want to do callbacks. They don't want to do lines of dialogue that resound or like that that resonate further on down the right. line because that's yes. that's what that's what the audience thinks they want and that's not what mm-hmm. the movies should be. Yes. Uh-huh. Because you know, yeah. like Jesse and Selena are allowed to have inside jokes. And I think there is this little shared laugh they have at the lunch scene, which is completely out of context and we never understand what it is. It's just something someone says that they both kind of smile about. Right. Oh, it, in a, in, in a in wide sunset? shot. It's not uh, in midnight. It's not oh, called attention okay. to at all. It's just there. Right. Uh-huh. And it's lovely because, again, it feels like something that simply developed between these people who we know so well. And right. it feels like yeah. being on the other side of the table when you're at a place when that happens emotionally. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's and, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And, and ballsy. You know, like gutsy to, to, to yeah to exclude the audience. Be like yes, totally, yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. So yeah. many interesting filmmaking choices. I really, you know, such confidence, such guts. I just and to pull it off so beautifully. Yeah, it's it really is unique. I mean, I know Linklater made Boyhood, and he's working on an adaptation of Merrily We Roll Along, which is apparently going to yes. stretch out over twenty years. Which yes. He's, we talked about it. It's like, this is, this is, he said, well, how did he put it? He said, I just want to have something to look forward to. Like he wants to feel like he's still going to be around in 18 years to finish this thing. Yeah. Wow. Which is weirdly optimistic and sweet. Yes. Yes, that is. Yeah. And I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. 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 I just want everyone to be around for it. I just, mm-hmm. you know, because 20 years from now, who the hell knows? Like the things are so, that's the other problem with making another before movie. I, Mm-hmm. you know is somebody is there is it going to be about losing one of the kids to activism and and the fault mm-hmm. lines that arrive between parents and children i don't i don't want that i want jesse and celine i want I those know, two yes. people and it's harder yep. and harder to isolate them yes yes it is yeah and where do you where do you pick them up where do you pick them up on a fourth one what yeah um yeah i think that's the problem with the pandemic pitch that they're that it would feel like a transparent excuse. And also, he, I think he was concerned about trying to recapture a moment that nobody wants to look at too closely just yet. Oh, yeah. No, 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 totally. I don't think any of us can take that right now. <laughs> Completely agree. No. Yeah. I mean, I've seen no. enough yeah. pandemic movies with characters I'm not that invested in. I don't want... Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was enough that we had to live through it. Let's... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. But I want but I guess my question is like where we pick them up in their relationship, like what mm-hmm. has happened at that point. Um and how I mean the point you brought up about the will they or won't they is sort of central to to each of the films. Like you you would have to find a new way into like to keep to keep with that trends you'd have yeah. to find sort of a new way into that which i think um but how I do you do that without feeling contrived right if every movie is about exactly this, mm-hmm. then yep. it's yeah. we're only seeing them at their at their most stressed or at their crisis point and i don't know that that's what these movies are either right mm-hmm. like the first hour yeah. before midnight is so pleasant because we're yeah. finally seeing who they are as a couple and we see what it means when they're fighting we see what's at yeah. risk 
Mm-hmm. And after this, yeah, it's just, there's, yeah. there's only so many stories, right? There's only so many places yeah. you can take this without becoming impossible or fantastical. And we've already had, that's the other thing too. Like we've already had the one extravagant coincidence of them running into each other. Again. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. 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 So the rest totally. of their lives have to yes. be. Yes. So maybe that's it. Maybe that, maybe it's that it's those three and that's it. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah, uh-huh. me too. Weirdly, I'm, I mean, yeah. it's not like we don't get to see the actors. It's not yes, like, yeah. like it's not like uh-huh. anything else has stopped, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think it's wonderful that at a place right now where IP is king, and they would have no trouble making a fourth one if they mm-hmm. wanted to, they just yep. choose not to. I think there's yes, something beautiful yeah. to that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, because you... it really makes the it really it it it's it's really about what's best for the project, you know, what's best for the story. It's serving that and making that central rather than, well, since we could, we will, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, everything now is, is positioned as uh, a possible franchise. I mean, where you pitched the edge of 18, the edge of 19 and people want to revisit (laughs) that. Like, is that a thing that happens? I do. Yeah, I do. Yes, there are. uh, Yeah, I do think that that constantly happens. Um, But but I but I have to say in the last six months or so, I have felt it shift away from that. I think because um, I think because people are realizing that the things that they thought were sure bets aren't sure bets. Mm -hmm. And um and i think that they're finding that like audiences are responding more to original you know original material and stuff like that so i'm actually feeling a real shift away from that which i think is exciting um feels like we reached this sort of inflection point um so i don't know that makes it actually it, it, it it's heartening it's encouraging God, I would like nothing more than to walk into a theater and see something fresh and original and new without, you know, yes. without being hooked to five other things or yes. a packaging deal. And it's not like those things aren't happening. It's just that they're not being supported at the same level. Yes. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. But I think we're going to, in the next few years, see that start to shift, at least based on all the conversations that I'm hearing. You know, I think people are realizing that most people feel the way you do. And I feel that way. I feel the way you do. I think people are finally realizing like there's a, there, you know, there's a sequel fatigue. There's a, you know, or a remake fatigue that's happening. It certainly yeah. feels that way. I mean, it feels that it's felt like that for me for a long, long time, but I mean, I'm me also too. in a privileged position like, of seeing everything. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. I've been there. I, yeah, I've been there a long time too. There's this drive-in theater we go by on the way to see Kate's parents in Oakville, and mm. it's got three screens and the six titles, right? There's always a double bill. And mm-hmm. we've made a game of just like sequel, sequel, franchise, IP sequel. And yes. one film maybe out of like Oppenheimer this summer was the only yeah. thing that wasn't, and that's a biography technically. Yes. And Christopher Nolan right. is his own franchise and however yes. else you want, but it was otherwise like the Meg two and Barbie and yes. exorcist uh-huh. 17 and all these things that jigsaw. And it's just, please two let there be two original things. I know. I know. Totally. Yep. Yeah. 
Do you go to the drive-in theater? I thought that's just such a throwback to me. I love I haven't that. for years now. Yeah. Um, they really, I would love to do that. Yeah. We don't have any, I don't have one near us. Yeah. They set up one on the, um, on the grounds at Ontario place in 2020, mostly for the pandemic, but it ran for a good year because it was a safe way to get people out to see the movies. And there was, I did not get to go, but there was a screening of the restoration of David Cronenberg's crash which mm. to my mind is now the only time to go to a drive-in like that perfect form that meta commentary wow. of seeing a movie in a car about cars yes yeah i don't know that anything else could top that yeah i get it totally get it yep. yeah but i do see the appeal I, I would uh yeah i would imagine that there's a market a huge untapped market for both the nostalgia and the novelty because there's generations of people who've never gone to a drive-in Yes. Yeah. I'm old enough that when I went as a kid, they were terrible. Oh, really? See, bad sound, I, bad projection, mosquitoes everywhere. And this was the eighties. Right. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That's when I went and, um, and it was magic. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I just remember, you know, um, having like our, as kids, like having our sleeping bags in the back of the minivan and, you know, and the little, it, it was shitty sound. It was like the little, you know, the little thing that sits on your window. Yeah. Tinny and it was terrible, but, but there was something so cozy about it. I don't know. It's like, it's such a nostalgic, wonderful thing in, in my head. Like I, it's so vivid in my memory that I, yeah, I would love to, I would love, I would love if they really made a real comeback. You know, I'm thinking this is the fourth film. Yes. <laughs> Jesse and Selena to drive in because he'd have opinions about coming from Texas yeah. and all the American experiences <laughs> and she'd hate the movie. Right. Yeah. And the girls totally. would be restless and it would give you real time, right? Like it would give yes. you a hundred minutes of them in, in a single space. Totally. Yes. <gasps> yeah. Yep. I have to pitch this. We, we've just cracked <laughs> it. <laughs> all right. The only thing is yeah. that they won't let us know about it. They'll just shoot it in secret and it'll just show up mm-hmm. someday. Yes. Yeah. 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 This would be a perfect uh, ad, except I also have to ask the obvious question, which is, um, uh-huh. I was, when you, when the suggestions came through, I was trying to figure out how to line it up. Is there, the podcast always ends with the same question, which is, is there something uh-huh. in the film you chose that's reflected in your work? Have you borrowed or lifted or outright stolen anything from the before films in your own work? Oh my God. Um, that's a great question. Well, I feel like they're so in me that the spirit, I'm always, I do think I'm always trying to channel a little bit of the spirit of them. Um, I guess in the naturalism and the naturalism of the films, like I'm really, that's, um, that's a, a big part of what has made me fall so deeply in love with them is just how totally real every frame feels. Um, so I guess I'm always shooting for that. That always feels like, um, that always feels like the North star, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can see that landing for filmmakers in a way that it just doesn't land with the average audience member, just because we, even I, on my periphery of the industry, I know how hard it is to get this right and to make it feel like it's tossed off and easy and natural. Yes, exactly. Because the, um, yeah, the amount of effort that goes into making it look effortless is really ironic. Yeah. My thanks to Kelly Freeman. Craig, 
whose new film, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, is now available on Blu-ray and DVD from Lionsgate and streaming on Stars in the U.S. and Crave in Canada. Thanks also to Emily Lou Waldrick and Mia Klein. They know what they did. You can follow Kelly on Instagram at Kelly Freeman Craig, all one word, and you can find the entire Before trilogy on Blu-ray and DVD in a beautiful box set from the Criterion Collection. Sunrise and Sunset are also streaming on Crave in Canada, and Midnight is streaming on Prime Video, Tubi, and AMC Plus in Canada, and on Max in the U.S. And of course, all three films are available to rent and buy on various VOD services. You can find me on Blue Sky at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get the new booster when you can. I'll see you next week. <laughs>